Praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord, church. Man, y'all just put that vicious rumors that the Presbyterians are the frozen chosen to ground. Man, what a song. The way y'all sung that. It was, bless my heart. See everybody jumping and moving around. I'm going to have to go home and tell she who must be obeyed, my wife. She couldn't be here this morning because she was called in to work. But I want to thank Pastor Jeff for inviting me and giving me this opportunity, this great pleasure, uh, this privilege of just being here this morning. I want to thank the Lord more than anything else for what he has done in my life. And to each and every one of you, I say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> I thank God for being here this morning. I really look forward to this. I just, uh, I was, I mean, my heart is racing 5,000 miles a second. And I feel as though I can't catch my breath, but I know that God is faithful and that whatever he has given me and whatever he's going to say, that we will hear it this morning and that it will bless each of our hearts. And as we leave here, we will take what we have heard and apply it to our daily lives. Amen? Amen. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 to 25. At the heart of mercy, what we generally do is stand up. So if it's all right, Pastor, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness, all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with drivers, diseases, and torments, and those who were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatics, and those that had parasy. And he healed them, and there followed him great multitude of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, and from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Heavenly Father, we just come to you in the name of Jesus Holy Spirit, have your way in here this morning. Touch each and every heart that we may truly become what you have empowered us to be, the sons and daughters. And in that, Lord, as we leave here, let our light shine so brightly that others may come to know you. And in all our good works, that you will be glorified, honored, and praised in heaven. Amen. may be seated. Brother Jeff had asked me to say a few words about my testimony. First of all, let me say that me being here today is a 38-year journey. I have never in my wildest dreams envisioned myself in being in front of a church such as this, such as First Press. I have the privilege of going to preach out at Saddleback Church next week. And so, and in all of those things, that is not what I asked God for. My only request from God was that when I came off the streets, 
was that God would deliver me from drugs. I didn't ask him for anything else. I had no intentions of asking God for anything else. I just wanted to be saved, wanted to be free from drugs. I wanted to be a regular Christian. Come to church, pay my tithes, do what's right, go home. That's all I wanted to do, just to be a normal, regular Christian. Without the bother and the care of all of that other responsibility. And so I asked God just to save me. And as a result of that day, September 21st, 1997, all of this has transpired. From a Catholic school background, because I had to go there as a juvenile, because of the amount of trouble I was getting in. But my mother knew the Catholic priest in an intimate way in terms of their counseling her. He knew a lawyer that got me into a private Catholic school. At the time, it was really a Polish orphanage in New Britain, Connecticut. But because they were unable to take in or unable to finance the orphanage, they started taking in state wards. And I was the first person from the state that was sent there. In fact, there was like 500 and something students, all kids, and I was the only black that was there. You know who I played at Christmas time? I was the nun's little chocolate baby. <laughs> I was woolly. They hugged me and they forced education upon me. I still remember my Latin from a child at eight years old, and I'm 59 today. I still remember my Latin. A damn collectificat juventu to ma'am, quiz to us, there's 42 to ma'am, ma'am Cooper and the meekless. Ma'am Cooper, ma'am Cooper, ma'am Matsuma Cooper. And that only goes to show that in the Catholic Church, it's true, the nuns do beat education into you. <laughs> and when I left there, I got in a lot of trouble. I was a juvenile. I left there when I was 14 years old, and I, no, 12. I stayed in trouble, in and out of different institutions. 15 years in and out of prison on the installment plan. In and out. Finally resulted into drugs. Then I had a moment of clarity and I went to college. And in the time that I went to college, I went to college for one reason, because I wanted to be a good con man. Because, see, I was too tall to steal. It's very difficult to steal something in a mall when everything is up to your waist. You really have nowhere to hide. Too tall to be a robber because how tall, what he looked like? He was six foot seven. You know, and how many six foot seven people running around? And so I decided to become a con man. Sat under some very elderly brothers who that's all they did was run the con game. So eventually when I went to college, I went to college for one purpose, and that was to become a better con man. And so I studied broadcast journalism, which dealt with a lot of marketing and advertising. And I said to myself, why con one person when I can con everybody through television and radio and newspaper? And once I graduated from there, I went to the University of Massachusetts where I said, hmm, politics, the power behind the power. If I was going to be a con man, so the best thing to do was to be a politician. <laughs> because who better, who better than a politician when it comes to saying something without really saying anything? And so that's what I wanted to do. And so eventually as I became or uh, went into that field, 
and political science and left the school and opened up a political media consultant firm, I began to get a lot of business because at the time we had the CEDAR program and a lot of a CETA program and a set-aside program, and a lot of corporations wanted to get into that 51% minority ownership. And so I was that conduit that they would use in order to get some of that money. And what happened was that I became in love with the power. I know the Constitution says that we all have the right to the pursuit of happiness, but I enjoyed the happiness of the pursuit. And that's all it was about for me until eventually where I became overcome by the drugs and my own desires and lust for the material things of this life, and I began that downhill slide. I had heard that if, when God created the earth and everything, and he tilted it on this 45-degree angle, everything that was loose rolled to California. <laughs> and everything else, they told me, dropped down to Florida, so here I am. And so when I came here, I immediately went to the streets because, see, I had destroyed my career. I had destroyed my reputation. I could no longer go into politics because if anybody had did a background check on me, I was caught. So I had to step down from where I was at. And I started working labor pools, and I ended up in the streets. And for like seven years, I lived on the streets. The only break I had was when I went to a migrant camp up in North Carolina for four years. I thought at the migrant camp I would be able to have the ability to escape from the drugs, but I, I didn't know at the time that wherever I went, there I was. Because, see, you can't run or relocate your problem. If you don't solve it right then and there, then it will continue to follow you. And taking drugs and, and drinking, you still have to wake up the next day, and there it is again. And so I lived on the streets for years, shooting heroin and smoking cocaine and doing all types of crazy things. And I started going to a feeding program down at Central Church of the Nazarene, which is now in partnership with First Presbyterian Church. And I, we, I went down there for nine months, and, and I heard this man named Sam give sermons. And Sam was the type of person that, in preaching that if you're not a mature Christian, he can really put you to sleep. <laughs> and most of the time, we would sit there, and we just wanted Sam to finish because we wanted to eat. And after nine months of going there, one Sunday morning, it just happened. I'm sitting in my seat and as if I'm overcome by the power of God. I could not move. I was glued to my chair. I felt the presence of God and I just began to weep. And even as I think of it today, it's like yesterday. And God came into my life. I didn't understand it. And three men walked me over to the church and they took me into the prayer room and they prayed over me. And while I was on my knees, I literally, not as much as that I heard the voice of God, but I felt God within my being. I felt him. And I knew right then and there that I would never do drugs again. And I knew I had a calling on my life. I didn't know what it was. But I knew that God was doing something in my life at that very moment. And I knew that I had to respond. It's... It was like I had no choice. I was so overcome by the power and the presence of God. And my life changed that day, that moment. 
And I remember I had talked to the executive director of uh, Central Care Mission. I asked him if I could come to the, to the facility, a rehab center, a Nazarene rehab center. And he was upstairs and he said, I don't have no room. And as I went to leave there, he just said to me, he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll let you go out there and sleep on the chapel floor until a bed opens up. He said, go down and tell Raphael to take you out to the center. I went downstairs in the parking lot, and I told Raphael, I said, William, Mr. Lowry said to take me out to the center. And as we were leaving the parking lot, a young man ran across the street and told Raphael, Raphael, tell William I'm not coming back. You guys can give my bed away. And I knew that God was doing something, but I didn't know what. I went out there and stayed 26 months at this drug rehab center. And I didn't know at the time Jerry Appleby was looking for an African-American to be a part of Restore Orlando. So in 1998, I got my local license from the local church, which meant that I had the authority to be able to preach within the local church. And I went to Restore Orlando. And the first week I was there, Jerry Appleby called me into the office and he said, William, he said, God called me to Oklahoma. I said, he did. (laughs) He said, yes, he did. I said, well, who's going to be pastor? He said, you. So I said, Pastor you. I don't think I know him. Is he from China somewhere? <laughs> he said, no, you. And that was my first week at Restore Orlando. And I became the senior pastor. He was leaving. Then the district told me to plant a church. I, I didn't know if I was to go to Home Depot and get seeds or, or just throw them out there or something. And I end up becoming a senior pastor of Restoration Community Church at Restore Orlando. But I believe in my heart and in my soul that as I read this passage here, what I see is that it's not just what God was doing. It's all those things that God was doing before I even came to where I'm at right now. See, I know that when we read this passage and we see the part about the people that went to Jesus that were healed, and, and, and it's so easy because that's part of the, the great belief that we have. Our God is all sufficient. Uh, our God is all powerful. He can do everything. And, and we see the part of how Jesus healed them all. But most of the time, or many times, for many of us, what we miss is that they brought them unto Jesus. I'm talking about they. Those people that we don't see, those mothers and fathers that are on their knees praying praying for their children day in and day out, they're bringing their children before God because they know that God is the source of all of the power of him, that if anybody could touch their life, that could change them, and that is God. They... There's something about they that we seem to miss all the time. We are given the power by God to have the ability to be able to lead others to Christ. And it's a hope. 
And that's the first point. It's the hope that they had. They heard about Jesus. The Bible says that his fame went throughout Syria and they must have heard him. What well, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Somebody must have told them something and they looked at their child or their daughter or their son or somebody that was in their life that was having a problem that was going through changes, that couldn't walk, that was blind, that was crippled. And they heard about this man named Jesus way up in Galilee and they probably said to themselves, well, if I could just get him up to Jesus because see, their hope was for them, not for themselves and I believe in my heart that when God calls us, that's our job. Our job is to hope for those who are lost in the world of darkness, those who are stuck in the bondage of sin and don't know how to get out of it. It's up to us to bring them unto Jesus. Because we know that the healing, the power, the source is in Christ. And we have to be the ones to bring them. The Bible tells us for those who believe, he has given us the power to become the sons and daughters. Fourteen times in the New Testament, you read that verse, and they brought them unto Jesus. Fourteen times. It becomes significant to the point is that people who believe in God believe that if I can get somebody to Jesus, they can be healed. And that's what we're called for. Jesus, as he ascended into heaven, told his disciples, go out and bear witness unto me. And you cannot bear witness unto anything unless you know the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. He is the way to life. And he's given us the ability, the gifts and the talents to be able to go out and get them. The father told the servants, say, go out there into the highways and the byways and invite them all. Bring them to the feast. It's not just for us. It's for all of us, everybody, rather we're black, white, woman, man, no matter what nationality. Heaven is a place, the Bible says, and they stood around the throne. It doesn't mention no gender, it doesn't mention no race, it just says they. There is no secret place just for the Presbyterian. There is no little place just for the Nazarene. Heaven's going to be wide open and all of us will be standing around the throne of God, worshiping him. Worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. And we'll take whatever he has given us and we'll throw it at his feet in recognition that it all came from him. The second point, (laughs) I know, (laughs) the second point, they brought them, but can you imagine what they had to go through to bring them? The Bible said they came from everywhere, the blind, the lame, the lunatics, paralysis, it brought everybody, high blood pressure. Diabetes, cancer, they all brought them to Jesus. Now I'm picturing in my mind that some of them had to be carried. And on these roads during that time, during Jesus' time, man, it was, listen, I believe in my heart they had an OBT, Old Bethlehem Trail. <laughs> I, I, I just believe that. I believe that whatever we had today, today they had back then. They might not have been smoking blunts or reefer, but they were drinking grog. 
Bible tells us that the Pharisees that said accused Jesus of being a wine bibber. In other words, somebody had to be drinking to be able to come up with that term. <laughs> but can you imagine carrying these people? There, there was no, there was no Southwest, no links, no Amtrak, and these people had to be transported. Maybe somebody had to pull a cart as the person that was lame was sitting in it. Maybe somebody had to just hold somebody's hand and take a step by step, slowly but surely. Watch the rock right here. Watch that branch over here. There's a ditch over there. And I had to have the patience to do all of this. I am often reminded that when I was getting into trouble and when I was really acting up and when I was young, thought I knew it all. You know, six, eight playing basketball at high school on campus. Whew. Man, I was catch me out. Oh, I'm sorry, that's too old for you. I was down. I was down. I was down standing on it. We had our basketball team had our own little corner. And I just knew I was that four bags of chips and three sodas. I had it going on. And I thought I could do anything because the coach was protecting me. Because he needed me. I did exactly what I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, and did anything that I thought I could do. But I remember when I was getting in trouble and hanging out with all of the wrong people, I remember my mother being on her knees, crying out to God for him to do something in my life, to touch me, to save me, to change me. And as I think about over my lifetime, I wonder how long she was on her knees paying that prayer. How long, how many of you know somebody that's struggling in a marriage or something and you pray for them? And you might just be standing at the kitchen sink. You might just be watching television and, and, and the thought will cross your mind and you will just say, Lord, help them. And you are carrying them to God because you recognize the fact that that's where the source of healing is. That's where the power is. We labor in our spirit for those who are unable to labor for themselves. And imagine the patience that it takes of not being, not giving up on a child that you've been talking to over and over and over and over again. And they just can't seem to learn. And when I was trying to recover from drugs, I remember sitting behind the Salvation Army next to that little lake and begging God to take it away from me. Because, see, it was easy for me to have God take it away than it was for me to give it up. Because, see, I wanted him to have the responsibility because I enjoyed getting high. I was having fun. But, Lord, I couldn't handle it. I can't, I can't deal with it no more. It has the power over me that I can't stop. So you take it away because I can't let it go. And the more I tried, the worse it got. The worse it got, the more I kept doing it. The more I kept doing it, the more... I was miserable until I said, Lord, just take me out of here rather than allow me to continue to live the way I'm living. And my sisters praying for me. My mother had called the FBI, had called the police trying to find me. My mother spent thousands of dollars hiring detectives trying to find her son who was lost out there in the world, carrying me. To the throne of God daily. Lord, save my son. My only regret, my only regret in life is that my mother is not alive to 
to see what God has done in my life, to see that our prayers was answered. We are called to carry. The Bible said those that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak. I believe that many people that who have crossed the path of my life have carried me to the throne of God. They carried me down that road to Galilee to Jesus. And if it was not for them, where would I be? See, our responsibility is to plant and to water. God will give the increase when he's ready to do it in his time. But our responsibility is to plant and to water. I listened to the announcement of that opportunity of being able to serve at Restore Orlando. That's a great opportunity. If you've never done it before, you, you should try it. And you don't know how God will use you and just the, the fact that you can be there to wish somebody a Merry Christmas. I know a lot of times we look at the overseas missions and we, are, we romanticize that. I mean, it's a glamorous ministry. We want to take trips overseas, but we have so much of a mission field right here in our own backyard. In our own backyard. And we'll, you know, we'll fly everywhere in the world to accomplish something, but we're missing the point right here in our own backyard. I believe what you guys are building here in terms of expanding your education and your schools and everything, I believe it's going to be such a blessing to you. I look around and see all of these young people. You are carrying them before the throne of God, asking God to do, asking God to have his purpose accomplished in their life. And Lord knows how many people they're going to touch. There's a story about a Sunday school instructor that is, Planning to quit. He uh, feeling very frustrated because got Generation X. These new kids. This new generation. Walkman, iPods. Half the stuff they have. I I don't even know. The youth department at our church constantly making fun of pastor because I'm not up with anything. They operate my phone for me. They, have, they bought me a Palm Pilot, and they showed me how to use it. I had a phone one time that was so big on my hip, all the kids used to say, why are you carrying your home phone with you? <laughs> I didn't know. I just thought I had me a cell phone, but I, one girl called it the, the computer. Can I use your computer? But in this story, he was so frustrated with this new generation with the hip-hop, the bebop, and bop-wop. And, uh, you know, I, 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 don't look at me to do rhymes because I can't do it. <laughs> and so he wanted to quit. And so he decided that he was just going to leave the ministry. That young generation was there. They were different. And he got a letter one day. And it was just before this person that wrote him passed away. And the person wrote him a letter and said, you know, I heard that you was thinking about resigning. I know that you're an elderly man now, but if it wasn't for you, where would I be? My life has changed as a result of your Sunday school lesson. You had such an impact and effect on my life. 
please don't do it. And it was signed Billy Graham. How many lives did he touch? How many people did he bring before the throne of God, before Jesus? We never know what they're going to do or how God's going to use them. But we have to bring them there and let God give the increase in his time. And the third point, the compelling force of Jesus Christ. They heard throughout all Samaria about this man named Jesus I can't begin to tell you the amount of people that are at different drug clinics throughout central Florida, people that are on Mercy Drives, holding heights, that are hoping and wishing for something to change their life, but they feel trapped by the bondage of the material things in life. They're feeding their flesh, and they feel as though that if they don't feed their flesh, all of this stuff about this spirituality, all this stuff about Jesus, they just can't put their trust in them because they're they're being deluged by bills and all of these things that they don't have and that they can't afford and that they have this desire for. But they know that there's something more than that's out there and what they're struggling to try to obtain. They understand that. The point is that we have to be there to be able to give them that encouraging word. We have to be there to be that light. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm not saying being so overcompassionate, being so heavily minded that you're no earthly good. I'm not talking about just giving away stuff. I'm talking about helping people to change their life in a responsible and an accountable way that holds them to the grindstone. Because that's what it is. All of us, I'll fly away, I'll fly away someday, but none of us are looking to go there today. When my appointed time come, I'll fly away. And I'm not going to try to move the schedule up. (laughs) I don't think none of us will do that, are going to do that. But the thing about it is that we can touch lives that will help them to be able to change. Because there is a compelling force in our life. It's it's, It's what drew all of you here today. The hope in Christ, the faith in Christ. And when people have the ability to see that, it changes life. I'm speaking from personal experience. And the first day I came off the street, I walked into Central Church of the Nazarene. I had been on a two-week run of shooting heroin, smoking cocaine, sleeping out in the streets. And I was washing washing up at TD Waterhouse at quarter to five. That's the time the sprinkler systems come on. Six, eight, bent down, this low to the ground, trying to wash up. At one point, I would never been have, I would, say I would have been caught, I would never have been caught dead doing that because I was too embarrassed. But by the time I got to the end of the journey of my drug addiction, I didn't care what cars was coming by. I didn't care if people saw me going into the dumpster and taking out cardboard. I had no shame. I had no dignity. I did what I thought that I had to do. And I come off the street smelly, stinking. I mean, I was smelly. I was stinking. I was like just two weeks without a bath, without combing my hair, without brushing my teeth. 
I walked into Central Church in the Nazarene and Bill Austin was there. He come walking out of the sanctuary. I'll never forget it. It was a moment in my life that had such an impact on me. I felt the love of God in this man. He said, good morning. He walked towards me with his hand like this. And as I walked towards him, when I got close to him, he embraced me. I felt God at that moment. I felt his love at that moment. Because the normal reaction or our natural reaction is, oh, man, hold up. The bathroom's right over there. If you need to use it to wash up, go right ahead, sir. We'd be more than glad to give you a washcloth and some soap. This man embraced me. And we have that kind of power. And we can bring him to Jesus. Because, see, we know, we know, we know. And how I know we know? Because you're sitting here. And we can bring him to Jesus because we know, we know the source of the healing is in him. Amen. what God has done in my life, I could never possibly ever, ever thank him enough or ever repay him. He's blessed me with a wonderful woman, she who must be obeyed. Her name is Rosie, by the way, so if you see her, don't tell her I said that. But she keeps me straight. She is exactly what, just to show you how God operated in my life. At Central Care, our executive director said, we never pray our our heart's desire. We need to ask God exactly what we want. So in my mind, when I pray for a wife, I was looking for five foot seven, long flowing hair, hourglass figure, and completely submissive to me. And when I met my wife, she was not flowing across the room, didn't have an hourglass figure, hair wasn't flowing, but when I saw her, I knew that that's who God had for me. And that has been the greatest decision in my life. And not only that, just all the things that I have done. It's as a result of what God has done. It's as a result of all of those who brought me before the throne of God. I preached that first prayer, and I slept on their property for months. And then to end up in the pulpit, only God could have done that. Only God can do that. And we have the power. And my story is nothing or no different from all of the other people who have recovered as a result of people who have given a lifetime of prayer to bring them before the throne of God. My life is no different from all of those who are out there who are now waiting for people like us, children of God, to go before them, to be a witness unto them and bring them to the throne of God, to introduce them to our Lord and Savior, my friend, Jesus Christ. We have that power. And in the announcement, he said he wanted to build it around service and community. I believe in my heart that 
churches that are now changing and that the Lord is raising up new leaders and all of it is about one thing, loving God with all your heart, your mind, and your strength, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And yourself is last, but our Bible says the last shall be what? The last shall be what? First. Say it like you mean it. The last shall be what? First. Follow the process. Follow the process and God will use you always. Amen? Amen. We bless the Lord. We thank God for this opportunity. And I hope with all my heart that you have been touched and that you will leave here inspired by the grace of God to go out and allow God to use you that you one day may bring them unto him. Thank you.